0: In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. So sinners and saints, how are we both? It seems contradictory, um, and it seems like it doesn't. It doesn't quite fit, and there's a tension there, you know. But I'm just going to start with a little analogy. That um, anybody here play any string instruments? Guitar, violin, anything? Anybody? Yeah, so those of you who play any stringed instruments know that the strings have to be at just the right tension to create a beautiful sound. And if they're pulled too taut, they snap. And if they're left too loose, you get like a really wonky sound. Right? So there's a tension here between one's identity as sinner and one's identity as saint. And we just need to to get find that right balance. And if I'm gonna be very honest with you, I'm I'm still figuring it out. And sometimes you know the tension gets so taut that I think it's gonna snap. And then sometimes things get a bit lax. And we can clearly see, like Jesus tells us, you will know them by their fruits, you know? So I can clearly see that things have gotten a little bit lax, next slide. So in my past life, I was a surgeon and um, I can still remember to this day, my first complication my first technical complication. The first time that I, by my own hands, with a sharp object, did harm to a patient, not intentionally, without anybody else, without a supervisor, without somebody else in the room, like it's just me and the patient and a sharp object, and the patient was harmed. I can tell you I can tell you the medical story later if you want to hear it, but for now, I'll just tell you, I wanted to die. I wanted the earth to open up and swallow me whole. It was 1.30 or 2 in the morning. I called my boss. He told me, don't worry. These things happen call so-and-so like I already did, call anesthesia, I already did, get the OR on standby, I already did, right? This guy is going to need a crash operation to save his life if things get any worse. And I did all of these things, I did all of the right things to help clean up my mess, but... If 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 the earth would have opened and swallowed me whole in that moment, like like Abiram and Dathan in the Old Testament, like like all those stories with St. Shinuda the Archmandrite, you know St. Shinuda the Archmandrite just says like earth open and sw- <laughs> earth opens and swallows people whole. You know? Right? I would have thanked God. I was seriously figuring out how I'm going to go to the college and Physician surgeons of British Columbia and tell them I wish to surrender my medical license. Like it would be, it's safer for the general population if you take this little card back. The next morning rolls around. Patient is still alive. Um, we got everything organized, and we. Gently undid what I did, and like nothing happened. The guy was okay, and he did fine and left hospital and did great. Uh, Left hospital to go home, not left hospital to heaven or the morgue, uh, and and uh, and did fine. And um, that afternoon, uh, my uh, the the you know, attending physician who was like supervising my work said to me, these things happen. And that's why we quote patients, a complication risk. But remember this, remember it very clearly and you will never do it again. And that was a a lesson learned to me, for me, and I've ha- I had, in my short medical career afterwards, I had many other complications, I'll tell you the truth. And any surgeon who, or doctor or whatever who tells you that they don't have any complications is one of two things, either a liar or someone who doesn't do anything. But the only way to never make any mistakes is to never do anything at all, right? If you're going to do things, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. And there's a system in place to deal with the mistakes. And God is not any different. In fact, He's our archetype. He knows we are going to make mistakes. We prefer to call them sin. Actually, we prefer to call them mistakes, but God calls them sin. That's a topic for another day. Next slide. But if you remember them, you'll never do them again. If you mess up, don't cover up. Fess up. If you mess up, fess up. If you mess up, don't cover it up. We all do that. We cover it up. Father Krolos escape told us a beautiful uh, story yesterday or analogy yesterday of two little girls who are being naughty and they know they're being naughty and their father's coming home. Be the daughter that runs into her father's arms and smothers him with kisses and says, Daddy, forgive me. Daddy, forgive me. I have a two-year-old daughter who's really, really, really cute (laughs) and she loves playing peekaboo. And I love playing peekaboo with her too. But I'm 39 years old now and when I play peekaboo, it's just not cute anymore. (laughs) I'm too big and fat and hairy for it to be cute anymore, (laughs) right? Don't play peekaboo with God. Don't play peekaboo with God. Just run to Him. That beautiful analogy Abuna gave us, that beautiful story Abuna gave us. Throw yourself into His arms and smother Him with kisses. St. Anthony tells us. Humility and continual repentance through confessing of sins and lamentation on past ignorance, regardless of spiritual advancement, is necessary in order to prevent regression. This is the Lord's will. So, I'm not very smart, so I can read these things faster than I can understand them. St. Anthony is telling us that continual repentance through continually confessing our sins— is necessary to prevent regression. St. Anthony said it much more succinctly before. He said, he's also attributed to have, be, to have said, remember your sins and God will forever forget them. Forget your sins and God will forever remember them. He doesn't mean that if you don't remember your sins forever, God will remember them as like in a vindictive way. Not at all what he means is that if i don't remember that i have a tendency to lie cheat steal overeat uh, fall into lustful temptations etc etc then then i will somehow think that i'm invincible to these things and all of us have l- leanings towards different temptations all of us have you know like Weak, specific weaknesses towards specific temptations. If you tempt me with such and such, you know, if you tempt me with chocolate cake, I might have a sliver, whatever. When I'm done dinner, I like something sweet in my mouth, but like a forkful is enough. But if you put a bag of potato chips in front of me, oh my goodness, it will be an endangered species. Right? Why not the chocolate cake? I don't know. I'm just not a chocolate cake kind of guy. I like chocolate, I like cake, I like chocolate and cake together, but a forkful is enough for me. But chips, you know, I can't stop. Take, you know, I just can't, I just can't stop. I have to know that about myself. I have to know that about myself. And knowing that and bringing that to God is what we call confession. Confession is speaking a word of truth, Homologia. Right? It's speaking a word of truth. So I'm speaking a word of truth about myself. I have a weakness to potato chips. It's the truth. Right? And when I speak it to God, it's called confession. St. Anthony goes on to say, although a repentant individual has utter confidence in the ultimate redemptive power of Christ's blood, and that God has absolved him of his sins and bore the penalty of his trespasses. So although you have this complete Confidence in the forgiveness of God, in the redemptive power of His blood, in the complete and irreversible absolution of God, he should not forgive himself or absolve his own conscience as though he had not sinned at all. Whoa, 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 whoa! Wait a minute! Wait, wait a minute, Buna. Yesterday you were telling us no shame, blame, or guilt. Now you're telling us. He should not, the the individual myself, should not forgive himself or absolve his own conscience as though he had not sinned at all. Yes, that's what St. Anthony says. So, again, you find this tension. You find the guitar string pulled in two different directions. Next slide. With every breath you take, you breathe with both your lungs. right? With every breath you breathe in, You breathe with both your lungs. With every breath, I am a beloved child of God, and with every breath, I am a sinner. Both are true. Neither one is false in any moment in time. I am a beloved child of God. I am the adopted Air with Christ, I am a sinner. With every breath of the Jesus prayer, with every breath of the Jesus prayer, I fully confess the eternal truth of both these statements. Next slide. King David in his confession in Psalm 50 that we pray, 10 times a day. Psalm 51 in the Bible, he says, And my sin is always before me. Sin is not sometimes before me. My sin is not before me until I repent and confess, and then I put it behind me and I forget it. My sin is always before me. Let me tell you what this, how I do this. Personally, I I don't know that it's the right way, but it's, it's what I do anyways. I tell myself, I don't need to remember the details with whom and where and how and how it felt and what led up to it. And all I need to know is that once upon a time, there was this guy named John. And John, once upon a time, had done such and such and such. And boy, did he learn a lesson. That's it. That's enough. That's enough next slide so oh next slide and the one after there you go so I don't know whether this is right or wrong but I'll just it's just an example and I'll share it with you um, the organization Alcoholics Anonymous they have a, a concept that alcoholism is a chronic illness which is um, which is incurable. You can go into remission. So you can be not actively an alcoholic. You're not actively abusing alcohol at this time. But once they say, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Right? And the reason the reason they, they say that is because they have a concept that once a person, and, and, there, and there's medical, you know, and like biochemical literature to support this and to negate this, and that's why I'm not telling you this as though it were, were like, you know, truth, but just the opinion of one institution, right? That the brain gets hardwired, rewired after one becomes an alcoholic and that rewiring for it to go back to how it was before would take more than usually what somebody has left in their lifetime so that that person who has become someone who abuses alcohol will have a permanent susceptibility to abuse alcohol more than they had before before they had gotten them themselves into alcohol abuse, and there's there's the medical and biochemical literature to support that. But there's just to be fair, there's also medical you know literature to to negate that. So I don't know whether that's true or false. I don't think I don't think last time I looked, I don't think the medical community knows whether it's true or false. But if you were to bring this to somebody in AA, they would tell you it doesn't matter, because the only reason I'm saying this is because. Just because I haven't had a drink in 22 years doesn't mean that I can walk into a bar. Doesn't mean that if my friends are getting together for somebody's birthday at a pub, that I can go. There's places that are off limits to me because I'm not like everybody else. I'm different. Different in a better way, different in a worse way. It doesn't matter. It's amoral. It's not It's not moral. You're a good person, you're a bad person. It's just... I. Some people ha- have an allergy to very strong smells. I have a couple of people in my congregation that have allergies to... If you know me, like, like I don't use incense. I abuse incense. I hotbox the place. You can, I, you know, they say incense is like the prayer... The incense are the prayers of the saints. So I want, I want to be able to see the prayers of the saints. Basically, there's a fog in my church. You can wear whatever you want when you come to, to St. Moses, St. Catherine's Church because nobody can see you anyways, Right? But there's a couple of people in my church who stop coming because they can't breathe. They're different. They're not better. They're not worse. So we stopped doing that. Now everybody, and it was a drastic difference. Now it's like a grain of incense, you know. People are like, what happened to you, Abuna, right? I'm like, well, you know, this person is different. They have, a, they have different needs, they have different susceptibilities, right? This is a, I don't know who said this, it's anonymous. I would rather go through life sober, believing I'm an alcoholic, than go through life drunk, trying to convince myself I'm not. I would rather go through life sober, believing that I have a susceptibility to whatever whatever sin, than trying to convince myself I'm not all the while I'm drunk. Now, there's two different things and it's really important that we distinguish between these two things. Next slide. And like I said yesterday, I'm not a semantics person. You can call them whatever you want to call them. It's important that we understand that there's just two different things. I'm going to call them conviction and condemnation. Conviction... Is this thing that starts with the Holy Spirit? And He convicts us in our heart of sin, and we repent, and we confess, and we go have communion, and the union between us and God is reestablished. The other thing, which I'm calling condemnation, starts with the devil, leads to guilt, leads to I suck. I'm bad, I'm horrible, I'm this, I'm this, I'm that leads to despair. Despair leads to inertia, right? The more I keep shouting at you, you're this, you're this, you're that, you're that, you're that, you're this, you're this. What does that do? That, that makes you like, you know, feel like you're crushed under the burden of? I go, I sit with my knees up to my chest, my head tucked in, and I, and I hold my, in the corner of my room, and, and, right? And that doesn't lead to repentance. It doesn't lead to confession. It doesn't lead to communion. It doesn't re- to lead to reestablishment of the union with God. Rather, it leads to inertia. And inertia is like lack of movement. What, what kind of things don't move? Things that are dead. And the sin remains. We don't want to, we don't, we don't want to, next slide, we don't, we don't want to do, do that. We want to do this. We want perpetual conviction. Nehemiah, when he prays his prayer of repentance, he says, we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. Daniel, when he prays the same prayer, in the Psalms, the same prayer now, now Nehemiah was likely born in captivity. Daniel went into captivity when he was probably an early teenager. Okay, so these guys weren't, they weren't the cause of the, of the idolatry and downfall of Judea and Jerusalem, but they take it upon themselves. They say, they say, this is my sin, they own it. And God is telling us to own it. Next slide. The, 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 the prodigal son, when he returns, he says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He owns it. And God is asking you and I to own all of our life, including the, the, darker, the darker parts of the story. If we go, next slide. The, the, the tax collector would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, But praise God, be merciful to me, a sinner. In the Psalms, next slide. The psalmist writes, My dishonor is continually before me, and the shame of my face has covered me. These are healthy thoughts. I'm going to share with you a little bit how how they are. Next slide. You know, St. Mary of Egypt... Lived in in sin. I'm not an expert in St. Mary of Egypt, Abuna is, but what I know, she lived in sin for 17 years. She repented, she went to the desert, and for 17 more years she repented before she ever received confirmation from God of her forgiveness. That's crazy. For 17 years she sought God's forgiveness. And I've shared this story with people before, and they told me, but why would God do that to her? Why wouldn't He just, she would say, like, I'm sorry, and He would say, it's fine, I forgive you, sweetie, and, and give her a big hug and restore her immediately. You know why? Because if God had done that, we wouldn't be talking about her today. What resilience, what trust in God, what faith does it take to continue knocking on a closed door for 17 years and not give up? She had unending conviction that God will forgive her, that God will restore her that God will not turn her away. But if I knock just one more time, my favorite books in uh, job hunting, it's called uh, What Color Is Your Parachute? And the author in it says, every no that you get is one no closer to your yes. Like, you know, you apply for... A thousand and three jobs, and you get you get the thousand and third one that you apply to. So you got a thousand and two no thank yous. <laughs> you know we'll keep your CV, da da da, whatever. You know it's in the shredder already. Um, before you got your before before you got your job offer. So every no is one no closer to your yes. Every every forgive me, Lord of of Saint Mary of Egypt. She was convinced was just one, one forgive me Lord, closer to her being embraced by the Savior. She never gave up. She never gave up. And God sent her Saint Zosima and she's an inspiration to people all over the world until today. In Toronto, there's a women's shelter in her name that has nothing to do with the Coptic Church or the Orthodox Church or anything. It's, it's actually a secular place, <laughs> and it's named St. Mary of Egypt. She's an inspiration to people all over the world. May God give us, may God give us the same tenacity, the same stickiness to stick to God until we, the floodgates of His love and mercy cover us. Saint Isaac the Syrian says, Nothing is more dangerous than to depart from repentance hastily for the joy of forgiveness. Nothing, he says, is more dangerous than to depart from repentance hastily for the joy of forgiveness. Forgiveness is very joyful. In fact, it is the most joyful thing. But St. Isaac is saying nothing is more dangerous than to depart from repentance too quickly. Why? Because repentance is good for my soul. Because repentance is the very thing that warns me not, and that if I fell in the sin today, I can fall in the sin tomorrow. If I did it yesterday, I could just as easily do it right now. St. Elias also says, if sin is rebellion against God, then repentance is rebellion against sin. I know it, this might all sound a little bit too doom and gloomish for you. So I really want to show you that why this is just so good for my soul and yours, right? This is what parking tickets look like in the city of Toronto. You know what? I don't have parking tickets anymore. At all. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why parking tickets don't bother me. You see, one day I read a story about St. John the Short. Next slide. St. John the Short, very early in his monastic life, had his cell shared a wall with St. Peshoi. They were both young monks at the time. And word was out on the street that St. John the Short was entertaining women in his cell at night. So, the, uh, the Abba, the elder, brought all the monks together and brought St. John the Short and tore him to shreds. And St. Peshoy was also not very tall and weak and humble and small. And so he kept kind of, I'm imagining, kind of jumping up, kind of put up his hand, you know, like I have something to say. Something to say while the Abba was just destroying St. John the Short. And... St. Saint Saint Peshoy leans over to St. John and tells him, I, my cell is right next to yours. Uh, let me testify for you. Let me witness for you. Nothing has been going on in there. You pray all night and there's like angels singing and whatever. There's no women. I can, I can testify for you. St. John says, just, just let it go. Just, it's okay. Just let it go. And then St. Peshoy says to St. John, he says, but it's not fair. And St. John turns to St. Peshoy and says to him, How many of my sins did God cover and not reveal? And now I'm being accused for something that I didn't do. If I start asking God for what's fair, I will be the loser. So I used to get upset when I get a parking ticket and be like, it's not fair, right? And when I read this story, I realized how many times, which is almost every single time I park in Toronto. There's no free parking in Toronto right so like in montreal there's a few streets dead-end streets like you have to know where they are where you can find there's a couple of there used to be I don't probably isn't anymore a few spots of free parking in toronto none whatsoever every single time i park i overstay i this i that i whatever if i count up the number of times i should have gotten a ticket compared to the number of times i do And I start asking for what's fair, I'm gonna go broke. So when I get a parking ticket, it's a reminder to me of how many times I parked for free. (laughs) So I get a parking ticket and I'm like, (laughs) who's winning now? Pay for your parking, okay? Pay for your parking. Don't not pay for your parking. It's illegal. You should pay for your parking. (laughs) Right? But the remembrance, the remembrance of my sin, St. Anthony tells us, prevents us from falling into it again. And every time I sin, and I go to God, and He forgives me, I'm filled with joy while, while I'm still repenting of my sin, while I'm still seeking forgiveness. that, Thank God it ended here. (laughs) Thank God I only ate half the bag of chips and I didn't finish the whole thing. Thank God I caught myself. Thank God God stopped me. Thank God because I know, I know what John is capable of. I remember what John is capable of. So thank God it ended here. St. Ephraim the Syrian was imprisoned unjustly. David the king was insulted by Shimi the son of Gira. And when the mighty men with David wanted to go and kill Shimei, the son of Gera, David says to them, Let him curse, because the Lord has said to him, Curse David. The saints accepted whatever happened in their lives, and they saw that in the bigger picture, it was much less than what they deserved. Because they had a remembrance of who they are. Next slide. St. Paul does the same thing. He says about himself that he is the least of all the saints. In 1 Timothy, he says he's the chief of sinners. You know, one of my dear friends, another priest, says whenever somebody compliments him, says, Abuna, you're so this, Abuna, you're so that, whatever. He just looks up and says... 1 Timothy 1.12. I thank God that he has counted me faithful, I have no idea why, and put me in the ministry. For I once was an insolent man, this and that, violent, wrecking havoc upon the church. But his unbound, by his unbounding grace, he has made me what I am. I know who I am, I have, and I have experienced the grace of God. And so help me God, I have no idea why. God does what he does, but thank God that he does. You see that tension? That tension is there. It's a balance, and it's healthy. It's balanced. Next slide. St. Moses, patron saint of our church, is called to a council to condemn a brother. You may have heard this story before. And he's called to this council, and he doesn't go. He's an elder monk by now. St. Moses, the thief, bandit, robber, rapist, murderer, turned struggler, turned ascetic, turned priest, turned father to many monks, is called to this council. They call him again, he doesn't go. They call him again, he doesn't go. They call him again, he doesn't go. Finally, they go to bring him. They find him coming along the way. But he, by, the, by this time he was an old man And through extreme fasting And vigil and so on They say, they say he was like a ghost They say he was like, like, a, like a stick And he's carrying this huge bag of sand Some older sources or different sources say A barrel of sand With a little hole in it And the sand is trailing behind him And they say, t- Abba, what are you doing? Abba, let me carry He says, no says, here I am bearing my sins with me and my sins trail behind me and I go to judge another. A word to us priests, but I mean it, it applies to everybody, but St. But Irenaeus wrote this in regards to priests. He says to those who it has been given a word of truth, if they speak it, but they don't do it, everyone will know. But they'll be, and St. Irenaeus didn't use this this example, but I will because it's probably familiar to they'll be kind of like the emperor's new clothes. They'll think that everybody else thinks that they do what they say because they teach it so eloquently. But it will be obvious to everybody that they don't. And they look like fools. You know? Like, I was a doctor in my past life. I clearly understand weight loss and exercise physiology. I can teach it to you. You know? I can teach it to you. I can coach you. I can give you the parameters. I can't, right? But I'm 100 pounds overweight. <laughs> like, you're never going to... you. I look like an idiot. I look foolish. Either... Idiot. I don't know what I'm talking about, but it sound like I do. Or I am actually a fool. I know the truth, and I choose to follow a lie. St. Moses is saying, how can I go judge my brother when my sins trail behind me? By this time, he was like a glowing saint. So you see, but... But St. Moses, you repented, you confessed. St. Macarius saw the angel wiping out the sins off the tablet like chalas. No. His sin was clearly before his eyes. Never lost sight of it. Specific example. St. Anthony says controlling the body and governing its desires is an essential necessity in the ascetic struggle, in the spiritual struggle. This was written about St. Anthony by St. Athanasius in Life of Anthony, chapter 14. St. Anthony spent almost 20 years alone practicing his ascetic discipline this way, never going out nor being seen by anyone. The first time that he came out of the barracks, he appeared before those who came to see him, and they were amazed to see that his body had maintained its natural condition being neither fat from lack of exercise nor weakened from fasting. They found him just as they had known him before his withdrawal. Nothing had changed. St. Anthony figured out how to establish this perfect balance, this perfect tension between sinner and saint and to walk that fine line where I'm both a sinner and I'm a saint. Now, if I'm going to be very honest with you, okay, put my slides aside and put St. Anthony on pause here for a second and St. Moses and St. Ephraim and St. Isaac. And I get to listen. I the, have the enormous privilege of hearing and witnessing a lot of confessions from a lot of young people. And most of you, and a lot of people I know, maybe there's a bias. Maybe these are the people who come to me you know, maybe that's just the kind of people I attract or whatever, have a tendency, and we're talking about a balance here, to, to, to really put a lot of weight on the sinner. And they can't see themselves as a saint. They, they're not able to see themselves as a saint. So you'll find that your spiritual father will always be telling you how you are a saint in the eyes of God. Like, I don't have this in my slides, but, but if, if, if you look up Song of Solomon, write this down, you know, write this down, Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 7, 8 and 9. God is saying to you and he's saying to you, to me, you are all fair, my love, there is no spot in you. God looks at you and he sees perfection. He sees perfection. And he goes on to say to you and to me, my love with one look of your eyes, you have ravished my heart. That's how God sees you. If you are coming today burdened, overburdened by sin, that's what you need to hear. but it's a balance. And you'll find your spiritual father is always trying to help you establish that balance. St. Isaac the Syrian defines spiritual maturity. If you read like different fathers, you'll find every one of them defines spiritual maturity a little differently because they all have become mature in different ways. St. Isaac defines spiritual maturity as the person who's able to keep, maintain, This tension, maintain this balance. And he says, I'm paraphrasing as my memory, uh, as best my memory allows me to, he says that it's the continual remembrance of who we are before God. That's what spiritual maturity is. It's remembering when I fall in sin that God has forgiven me time and time and time and time and time and time again. And just yesterday, he was healing the sick and raising the dead through my hands. And so, if God hasn't given up on me yet, then then he still loves me. At the same time, when God heals the sick and raises the dead on my hands, to remember that just yesterday, just five minutes ago, just ten minutes ago, I was thinking this and judging that and doing such and such sin. So I have both in my mind always, the grace of God and my sinfulness. And I'm actually not complacent, but comfortable with both. I'm comfortable when God does miracles in front of me. Growing up in in, in service and so on, now a lot of people might disagree with me and and I respect you, okay? And I respect your disagreement. Okay, but I I disagree. I was told a lot of the times that don't compliment so-and-so, don't encourage so-and-so because he will become proud. Uh, Don't put so-and-so in a leadership position, he will become proud. I'm sure there is some wisdom to that. But I'd always be asking the question in my head now, is it not possible for us to uphold, encourage, support so-and-so And also pray to God that he would protect them from pride? Like, is it not possible for someone to be encouraged? Do we always have to slap people down so they don't become proud? Like, can't we encourage people and pray to God that he will keep them humble? And I have to tell you the truth, like, 25 years later, I'm of the same conviction. Like, I tell my congregation all the time. Just be nice to people. We got, a lot of, we got a lot of people who aren't used to church, who have left church for 20, 30 years and they come back and they come to communion and they're still wearing their shoes or they don't wear a headscarf or they're dressed, you know, a little bit l- less modestly than others or whatever. I tell my whole congregation, look, I'm the one dressed in black. You all be the good cop, let me be the bad cop. And that's my, that's my attitude with God. Okay, God, look, in the service, okay, I'm going to be the good cop, I'm going to leave you to be the bad cop. I'm going to leave you to humble people and keep them humble. And I'm going to encourage them and uphold them and, and bring them up and put them in the limelight. And I have to tell you the truth, that's what I've seen of God in my own life. So all the people out there were saying, you know, don't encourage this person, don't whatever, because, you know, you're going to make them proud. I, I, sure, I, okay, like, I'm not saying you're wrong, you're probably right, I'm probably wrong but 25 years later examining this thought and this idea i'm, I'm not convinced and god I'm, and i'm sharing this with you not because you're like all like like umna' khidma like like stewards of the service right but because because this is how this is what god does in my own life right so i'm here to encourage you and to tell you that that balance is necessary but if you find yourself crushed by the burden of sin don't let guilt and condemnation crush you. Go to God. Run to God. Hear the beautiful words that He says to you. But just... And accept His forgiveness. And, but just don't be quick to f- completely forget. Just remember, once upon a time, there was a guy named John, and he did such and such. And if he did that, yesterday, five years ago, ten years ago, he's fully capable of doing it today. So maybe he should just be a little bit extra careful. Same friend of mine who says, First uh, 1 Timothy 1:12 1. says this, says, uh, "I love women. I'm married. Um, women are lovely. Men are lovely, everybody's lovely. And anybody who comes, uh, you know, anybody who comes to me, I'll give them a hug you know and uh, you know i'll give them a hug and I'll, and i love them i love them endlessly sure no problem but with women and men it's a little different you see because i'm a man who's attracted to women right and i fully know that every woman out there young and old has the capacity not the desire but the capacity to rob me of what i hold most dear in this life which is my marriage. So I treat everybody the same. You know, if you're a, he's a priest, you know, so if, if, I, if I'm a like, kiss the cross and the hand kind of priest, I'm a kiss the cross and hand kind of priest to everybody. If I'm a hug everybody, I'm a hug everybody priest. Sure, no problem. But I never forget that every young woman out there has the capacity, not due to her desire or her sinfulism, due to mine. The capacity to rob me of what I hold most dear in this life. And I can keep that clear before my eyes. I'm going to keep that clear before my eyes at all times. And I'm going to do what it takes to protect that which I hold dear. See, there's no condemnation or guilt in that statement. It's just who I am as a person. I know who I am as a person. And I'm going to act, you know, in accordance to that. That's all. No guilt, no shame, no blame. I just, I need to know who I am. Next slide. Another reason why I'm selling you on this, continual remembrance of sin, is because God loves the humble. He, God loves everybody, but he's so near to the humble. And a whole bunch of Bible verses here to substantiate it. I know that you believe it. I know that you live it. I know that we don't need to go through them line by line and letter by letter. I know that, I know that I, I'm telling you what you already know. But God loves to be near to the humble. Jesus, next slide, Jesus himself says, I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Like if God Almighty <laughs> is humble, who the heck do I think I am not to be? And I, I don't need somebody to humble me. I have done a great job of humbling myself already. I just need to keep that stuff, keep it in mind. Now, I want to leave you with. I want to leave you. I want to wrap up with some very practical to-dos because talking is great, but if 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 talking doesn't lead to doing then we're very likely to not go anywhere. Next slide. So, what can you do differently? The first thing I'm going to share with you, next slide, is to humble ourselves before the Lord. Look, the verse doesn't say, humble yourself before your brethren. The verse says, the Bible says, in honor giving precedence to one another. Yes. But nowhere in Scripture does it say that I need to humble myself before you. I shouldn't exalt myself over you or lord myself over you. Yes, I agree. But the commandment is to humble ourselves before the Lord and He will lift us up. And the person who is humble before God, the person who is humble before God will be humble before others. But it's not a, like patting myself on the chest and saying, I'm a sinner and I'm this and I'm that. Don't say it to me. Go say it, I'm not as a priest, I'm talking to you as a, yes, say it to me in confession. But <laughs> don't say it to me like colloquially or in social context or whatever. Say it to God. I don't care how many times you walk around saying, Akhtayt Samehni, I'm a sinner, forgive me. I don't care about that, nor does God. Go, say it to God. and But if I constantly am saying to God, have mercy on me, the sinner, and I'm convinced of it, then I won't, be, I, I won't be able to lord myself over you. I will feel genuinely that I should, in honor, give precedence to you. I will genuinely feel that I am the chief of sinners. I will genuinely feel like you are such a, a better person than me, or far better a human being than me. Because, because I've been humbled, I, I'm before God. It's not before people. This isn't between you and people, it's between you and God. But it carries over to your relationships with people. Next slide Isaiah spends the first five chapters of his prophecy saying, Woe to you, the burden of God against you. Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. Rightly so, God. You know, like the prophet is speaking for God. As then in Isaiah six, he has a revelation of God. And what does he say? He doesn't say woe to you. He says, "Woe to me! I cried. I am ruined." For I am a man of unclean lips and live among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then a few verses later, one verse later, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. You see, when my eyes are not on God, and my eyes are not on my sin, it's very easy for me, my eyes to be on other people's sins. It's very easy for me to see your faults and your mistakes and your this and your that and to judge people and to have all these kinds of thoughts in my head. But when we repent genuinely and turn to God genuinely and keep a remembrance of sin in ourselves, whatever, I tell you the truth, and I don't, I don't want to speak on God's behalf, but I I have found this time and time and time again that the people who repent of a sin and keep that sin clearly before their eyes not only do they not fall into it again but God sends them all kinds of people who are entangled in the same sin for them to restore why because they will never ever have the guts to have one air of judgment about them towards that person because they know that you fall in this sin just this morning I was doing the same sin and God forgave me and restored me He can do the same for you they may not share that in all of the in all of its guts you know in all the blood and gore and guts and glory but they know so they'll never judge this this is holiness. This is holiness. Next slide. With the coal, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away from you and your sin atoned for. I want to I I share something with you. What we believe... About sin and repentance and confession My fathers can correct me Because they're far more learned than I am Is that when we confess our sins Our sins are blotted out What does that mean? What does it mean that mean they're blotted out? They're erased off the face of the earth? Not exactly They, they're, they go into some oblivion Where like it's like they never happened before? Not quite so the, the closest analogy that I've ever read or heard is that it's like when we offer our confessions, you know, it's like, you know, if you write your confessions on a piece of paper, it's like you, it's like you're holding that piece of paper and you're reading it under the cross of Christ. And, and from the pierced wrist of Christ, a big drop of blood falls and splats on the page, an opaque drop of blood blots out what was written there. So now, only you and God know what's here. How many people here have seen the movie um, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? The Chronicles of Narnia, the first one, right? So, there are four siblings and one of them messes up royally and basically causes like the world to be doomed. And the Christ figure in the movie, and the Book and story is Aslan, the the lion, right? So Aslan takes Edmund up on the mountain, and Edmund confesses that he basically has doomed the universe, right, to, to the wicked witch, doomed it to eternal winter, right? And his three siblings know and they're really angry, upset with him and so on and this and that. And Edmund and Aslan talk on the mountain. We never hear the fullness of their conversation. Aslan comes down the mountain and the three children tell him, well, are you going to punish him? Are you going to this? Are you going to this? And he looks up at them in his deep bellowing voice that I will not be able to um, imitate. And he says to them, speak of it no more. And he turns around, walks away. That's it. What, what's between me and Edmund is between me and Edmund. What's between you and Christ is between you and Christ. It has been sealed permanently. Nobody knows what's there anymore and no one ever will again. It is done. Hence the picture of the whiteout. You know, it's, it's covered. But I know And God knows what's under the whiteout. And like I'm saying, we don't need to remember it in all of its blood and guts and glory. We just need to have some vague recollection of what's there. In the fraction of the to the Father in the Liturgy of St. Cyril, we say, And as you cleanse the lips of your servant Isaiah the prophet, when one of the seraphim took a coal with tongs from the altar and placed it on his mouth, saying, Behold, this has touched your lips, and will take away your iniquities and will purge off your sins. So also, vouchsafe means like, please make sure to, uh, unto us, the weak and sinful, your servants who seek your mercy to cleanse our souls and bodies, our lips and our hearts and give us this true and live coal that gives life to the soul, the body and the spirit, which is the holy body and precious blood of your Christ. St. John Chrysostom says, you know, like, like in, in many churches, uh, like on their iconostasis above the, the, the gates of the altar, it says, these are the gates of altar, the, the, the gates of heaven, Right? St. John Chrysostom, and I can imagine that probably what he did at the time, was turned and pointed to the royal gates of the altar and said, These are not the gates of heaven. These lips of yours and mine are the gates of heaven, heaven, the royal gates by which the King of Glory will enter in. Now you tell me, says St. John Chrysostom, what have your royal gates been up to lately? Or is it meet and right for the King of Glory to enter in through those gates? But that's the truth. These are the gates. These are the gates of glory. Next slide. King David wrapping up here. King David says, "I acknowledged my sin to you." Next slide, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. All we're talking about here is an acknowledgment next slide so being really practical when we sin what should we do real plain and simple four easy-peasy steps stop whatever you're doing stop you're on the phone put the person on hold uh sorry I got another line yes you did you got another line from heaven which is the Holy Spirit convicting you to repent put them on hold you're walking stop you're talking stop whatever it is you're doing just stop this will take you ten seconds Anybody can wait for you for 10 seconds. Whatever it is you're doing, just stop. Next. Pray. Ask God to forgive you. Stop in the moment. Acknowledge your sin. And ask God to forgive you. Not complicated at all. Repent. Return to God. Tell Him, Lord, I'm so foolish. Why did I do this? Forgive me, Lord. I promise you He'll forgive you on the spot. In the moment. Now, if you're anything like me and you have this this tendency to forget your sin quickly, which St. Isaac told us, nothing is more dangerous than, right? Then the next step for me is write it down somewhere. Next slide. Write it down somewhere. So I have a locked note on my phone for my confessions. So in the moment... I judge somebody in the moment. I stop what I'm doing. I close my eyes. I do the sign of the cross. And I say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, the sinner. Lord, forgive me for judging. You and I know I'm no better than anybody else, Lord. And, you know, judge not that you may not be judged. Lest, you know, a worse thing come upon you, right? Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me and for loving me as I am. But I'm going to forget that. So I pull up my phone. Unlock the note, write it down, judging. Lock the note, pop it back in my pocket. And then in my calendar, I have a reminder that comes up once a month. I think it's on the fourth of every month that says, confess. And I guess what? I have a reminder every second of the month that says, text Abuna for an appointment to confess, right? And I have a, a reminder every fifth of the month that says, did you confess? <laughs> because I know That unless you nag me, unless I nag myself, it's not going to happen. But as the fourth comes a little bit, the fourth of the month comes a little closer, on the second of the month, prepare yourself for confession and ask Abuna for an appointment to confess. The reminder comes up. That evening, I pull open the note and I pray and I review what what I wrote down. And I remember what I wrote down. And I remember what I wrote down. And every time I'm tempted to judge somebody or something, I remember what I wrote down. Every time I feel like I'm, like I'm tempted by, by, by uh, pride or I'm tempted to look down upon somebody or something, I pull out the confession note, right? These are the things that you, I wrote these things down. Nobody else wrote these. I wrote these, right? Next slide. And a lot of us feel that our spiritual life is like this sine wave that goes up and down and up and down and up and down. But God doesn't want it to be this sine wave. God wants it to be more like, you know, there's growth and then there's a plateau where we develop some stability and then there's new growth and then another plateau. Imagine what it would be like. Imagine what it would be like if every time you fell, you bounced back higher. Imagine for a moment what it would be like if through a continual remembrance of sin you never fell into the same sin twice. It's said of St. Pishoy. You know why we call St. Peshoi the perfect man? Not because he never sinned, but because it is said of St. Pishoy that he never did the same sin twice. He'd sin, repent, confess, and keep a continual remembrance and never fall into the same sin. Where would you be now? When I was 13 years old, I figured, you know what? How long should it take me to memorize a psalm? A week? Okay, I gave myself a week to memorize a psalm. 150 psalms, 52 weeks in a year, roughly three years it'll take me to memorize the psalms. Then I realized that Psalm 118 is 22 parts, (laughs) and it's a little bit longer, right? And it was three and a half years. And I was 13 years old, and when you're 13 years old, 13 and a half years is like more than a quarter of your life. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is going to take forever. So after memorizing four or five psalms, I stopped. What a shame. What a shame. Now I'm 39. How many Psalms do I know off by heart? The four or five I memorized when I was 13. Just keep growing. Just keep going. Don't let anything discourage you. Don't let anything stop you. Just keep growing. And the continual remembrance of God's forgiveness in my life and what He has forgiven me for will do that. Now imagine what it would be like if you continued to grow. You know what? Don't imagine that. Close your eyes now for just a minute. And imagine with me what it would be like if you were in a community of people who are always growing, who not for a moment falter because they remember where they've come from and where they go, They remember that they were once slaves in Egypt, too. And now they've entered the promised land. They don't do the same sin twice. They're always growing from glory to glory. That, my friends, is what the church is meant to be. That, my friends, would be the kingdom of heaven on earth. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.